Hello, Moto America fans, and welcome to this latest episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Vice. You can probably tell by the dulcet tones of my voice that I am not Carruthers. I am Vice, the sidekick to Paul Carruthers, who is the communications manager for Moto America. And uh, I am introducing him today. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Oh, I'm good. It's a little a little early out here in California. You guys are back there and uh, been up for like six or seven hours, I bet. And I'm just kind of crawling out of bed. But uh, no, everything's good here. It's uh, we get to go we get to go race again here pretty soon, and and we get to do so with fans, which will be kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's so great. I mean, you know, we our first round really went off without a hitch in terms of you know on track and all our great TV coverage, and uh, we got a lot of fans tuned in around the world actually. And um, now we're going to get to have a lot of those fans at the track with us, with us, which clearly adds a lot of energy to us and absolutely the riders um out on the track they love having the fans there especially at that track so uh we'll be going to Bratland again pretty soon um i'm looking forward to it uh it's been a little cool here and you said it's been cool in southern california i know we kind of always talk about the weather on these podcasts but they say that when you know this end of june is probably even more of an ideal time to go to road america than maybe our first round was so i'm looking forward to that right yeah, it's always usually that last weekend in May, the first weekend in, in June. It's been really hot out here, actually, but it finally has cooled off a little bit. Um, no, it'll, it, it'll be good. I think that first, honestly, it's like I was telling the guys at, at, at work, it's, I thought that first weekend may have done more for us than any other weekend that we've ever had as far as, like, um, you know, international coverage. I mean, it, it obviously helped that there, there's not there hasn't been a lot of live sporting events going on, and especially we were the first uh, motorcycle race. So I think it, it. I mean, we just got so much attention from overseas, which I think is really good because I think it just people people can get a you know with the with the Eurosport thing, people can get an idea of what Moto America is, and they get to see how good the racing is, and then I think they just stick around and become fans, and it's nice that we've got that Eurosport. Uh, deal for the uh, for the rest of the year obviously fox sports is very happy with us they've given us great uh they're giving us live tv and uh it's just worked out really well i just think that that one event even though we didn't have fans was just really really a good event from from moto america and i think now we can go back to wisconsin and have our fans obviously we're still going to be abiding by um you know the rules that that we now live in um but at least we'll get to do that with fans. So I, I think it will have a different feel than the last one. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, one thing that's interesting about, well, about how we, got, we were able to get our season started, and I had had this rattling around in my head, the best way to, to kind of say this, because, you know, I certainly didn't want to say, well, obviously this COVID-19 is a terrible thing for the world and a lot of lives have been lost and people have been sick. So, you know, we, of course, we don't want to make light of that. But my, I talked to, was talking to my wife about this and she kind of said, you know, I guess you can look at it as maybe the silver lining for us is that there was, there was an opportunity that, that, presented itself to us and you know we were able to work with that so you know we're not certainly trying to diminish what has happened but um it, like you said it's it's given us an opportunity to kind of show something that we already know which is that our racing is you know world class and uh, very exciting to watch i mean motorcycle road racing in general but uh for our series in moto america it's compelling all the time and it's it's great to get the exposure and have people kind of discover what we've been knowing for a while here. So 
Oh, yeah. And it's also another way to look at it is, you know, you're providing these people with something that they haven't had in a while. I mean, everyone gets stuck in their house and and, you know, they can can't do this and can't do that. And, and obviously you turn on your television and you try to find any sporting event and you're watching the 1984 Rose Bowl or whatever. I think <laughs> when we were able to provide them, you know, live racing on TV, I think that's that I think that's pretty cool. And I think it's. Uh, I don't want to go over the top and say we're providing such a great service that enhances their life, but I mean, come on, it's, it's, it's entertainment and it's something that they would enjoy. And like I said, it's something that they, they've done without for so long. I think they were just starving for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let, let's bring in our guest, which I think this is interesting that we're going back to road America for the second round. Uh, our guest was, is, is uh, Trig Westby. It's John Trigvy Westby is his full name for people, for people that might not know that he kind of goes by a shortened version of his middle name and Trigvy he's Norwegian. So that's where that background comes from. Um, and uh, Trig is the team owner of Westby racing, obviously. And one of the cool things about, Road America and going to Wisconsin is there actually is a town called Westby, Wisconsin, which has something to do with with Trigg's name. So let's bring him in. And I want to ask him about that to start with as, as well as starting kind of off where, where his passion for motorcycles started. Trigg, thanks for joining us on this podcast. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. Tell us tell us about Westby, Wisconsin. That That's uh, that's your your family, right? Yes, sir. It is. It's uh quite a story it was basically my uh one of my relatives had a basically a you know a food store type deal you know groceries and just all sorts of stuff and they're running the railroad line close and this guy said let's just run it by this store it's way easier than driving over here let's run the railroad ride railroad line right through this place and we get our supplies and stuff so that you know that's what happens i did it through there and then made a tan out of it called it westby wisconsin that's how my relatives were got involved in the whole deal was they were basically just had a store that railroad guys wanted to go close. So they did. So we went through there and I made a town out of it. That's where I came from. That's, that's funny. You know, Trig, one of the things about, we know from the, just going up there and Minnesota is the same way, that part of the country, there are a lot of Scandinavian people there. Is that, is that one of the reasons that, that your family is, or that name is from that area? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's just where it came from. They, they, you know, in, came over here, immigrated from Norway, and started, you know, farmers, and that's what they did. They started farming the land, and you know, went from there. So, and then of course, we ended up in the oil business, but that's a whole different story, anyway. Well, we want to hear about that story too. So then, the next part of it is the fact that you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I think you've spent your whole life there, haven't you? I mean, that's that's where you're yes. from. So tell that's us. Tell yeah. us about your background with going with being in Oklahoma. Well, like I say, it's, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So here I am. Uh, my father had a, basically his company was here. He was the second largest employer in Tulsa for quite a while, like 4,000 people or something. So he was kicking butt. And so that's what happened. You know, that's where it came, all came from. It's in Sidegraph Service, which eventually went into Raytheon. But anyway. So wow. Was the <laughs> wow. So the origins of Raytheon are has to do with the Westby name then. Wow, that's that's a that's no, a cool. No comment. Raytheon bought my dad. So he they were already going. My dad had a seismograph service company and they wanted him, so they bought him years ago. And now yeah. he, and he was one of the board of directors for a while and then he retired. 
So, but Sean DeGraff had a lot to do with finding oil, and he was really good at doing that. So he's a good oil man. Yeah, and that's that kind of is a little bit, Paul. It's funny you. I'm sure when you see Trig in the paddock, you you probably wonder this like a lot of people. He always he's sort of known as. Uh, the other man in the black hat besides uh i guess johnny cash he was the man in black but um but trig is the man in the black hat and if you look closely on his hat it says oil field trash on it uh, paul i'm sure you've you've wondered uh what that means do you know the origin of that one no i don't but i wanted to say <laughs> something real quick i think yeah. no i trig's one of those guys i don't really know him very well and i need to get to know him better and this podcast is going to help me do that but he it's like no matter how bad of a day you're having at the track, for some reason <laughs> when I see him, he's he's always riding some kind of motorcycle, whether it's a scooter or whatever he's brought to the track. But he always brings a smile to your face, and I'm sure that's the same with you. But I just see the guy, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's this is why we do this for people like him. You know, and he's been through a lot, and, and obviously with his son and everything, and it's like, it's heartbreaking stuff, but it just, it makes you so happy to see that he, he's got such a passion for what we do, that he's there every weekend. He's got a smile on his face. They have a very, they have a great team. Uh, it's a real family unit. It's just, I don't know. I, I think if, if, if you could have a team that, that symbolize what Moto America is, I would think it would be Westby Racing. And I, I, I mean, I don't say that lightly either. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. So Trig, tell us, this is, this is, uh, we've got some time for on this podcast, so don't be afraid of telling the story the way it began, but for you personally, where, where, and how did, how did your passion for motorcycles get started and not just riding motorcycles, but restoring them, fixing them, owning them, and then even racing them. And can you kind of give us where it started for you? Did that originate with your, your, your family, even before you were born? Yes, my my father rode a Harley, just like the one I have in, in Algeria, uh, looking for oil back in the day. He, he mapped a lot of, of uh, those countries, you know, for oil. Back in that day, they used to jump in that thing and ride out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, they called him Pebbles because he's always picking up rocks, you know, and pecking on them with his little hammer to see if they had anything to do with oil. So <laughs> his, name, his name was Pebbles, and he always talked about all the roughnecks way bigger than him and you know, packing you know chrome 45s and stuff on their on their hip and basically a wild west you know and he said so he was glad they liked him but they called him pebbles because he knew all about where the oil was that was kind of interesting but he rode that harley all the way around there i got a picture of him, him and his partner in the sidecar and uh, that's where i got the idea i really wanted one of those and a friend of mine was was working found some parts and started restoring one and i got right in the middle of that and Next thing I know, I've got it. So, and it was, I just wanted to see what he felt when he was riding that thing, what it felt like to ride that thing. Now I know, you know, I can't, it's, you know, you can do it, but yeah, it's definitely different from the bikes from today. But I mean, you know, cause you got to really watch what you're doing, but you know, it's no problem, but it was fun to, to ride that thing and think of him out in the desert, you know, zipping along the clouds of dust and stuff, you know, and Arabs chasing him or whatever, you know, I don't know what he, he had all sorts of stories about those days and i only got a few of them i wish i'd have talked to him a lot more about it but to him as a matter of fact i was i was working you know yeah and his, so so that was that was your that was that that's your 1924 harley with the sidecar and and yeah. he had a sidecar on his as well right i mean it's very yeah. much similar what you had or what yeah, he had I have a sport 
sport sidecar that Harley used to sell, but we just built that one. I have a guy in Tulsa here that worked on airplanes, built that for us from the plans, but his sidecar is a little bit more rough and ready, you know, like for really going out in the boonies, you know, but mine's like a sport. I'm supposed to like they're racing them. I'm like, yeah, okay. But anyway, uh, <laughs> they, that's what it is on that one. So, but anyway, it's, uh, can imagine them zipping along on that thing. Yeah, I got, he told me stories, but my deal was I loved riding bicycles. And then I, you know, I wanted something that I didn't have to pedal so much. So, I, you know, we started building like everybody has, I'm sure, doing motorcycles, an old frame and, a, you know, a lawnmower motor, put everything together and kill ourselves, no brakes, you know, pull the throttle with your teeth or whatever, you know, the cable, whatever it took. And then the first time, and I drove a bunch of those and then the first, built them and stuff. And then the first time I rode a Honda 50, 62, Sport 50. I was like, got on that thing. I was like, oh, my God, this is like from the future. You know, had a clutch and, you know, started and ran and it felt like a powerhouse to me. You know, back in the day, I was like, wow, this thing really is strong. You know, I never forgot the freedom of that. We're riding through basically pecan orchards, you know, because this guy had a farm. He invited us up because his dad bought him one. And I wrote that thing through the pecan orchard. I said, come back sooner. You're taking too long. You know, you got four other guys here trying to ride this thing. So we. That Honda 50 got the wear, you know, he definitely got the wear on it that day. We were all riding it, but I never forgot that. And I have one, a Honda 50, just like that one, only white instead of black. And I ride it around the neighborhood and go, wow, you know, this is what I was doing, huh? So, yeah, that's what got me going. And from then on, it was I fell in love, and that was the end of it. You know, I had better and better and go and keep going, and we're still doing it. Still finding the best equipment and making it work. And it's just all so fun to get these and look at the, the old bikes, I love working on the old antique stuff because, well, man, back then, the way we thought of things was totally different nowadays. You know, the way we fix things, make things work. It's just so interesting to see everybody's mindset of the stuff. It's like watching the Wright brothers or something, their stuff. It's really fun to, to see. So compared to nowadays, it's all like, oh, this computer ain't set to stride, you know. It's not to slide right off. What? Computer? What are you talking about? You know, so it's all different today. You know, compared to when I was racing, even, you know, so and I've learned a ton since I started doing this again. And Dane's the reason. He's the reason. He poking me in the rear or whatever, keeping me going. He's not going to let me stop. He knows I have a passion. And he was from another planet. I'll tell you, another world he was. And he left and went somewhere else, but he's still influencing me heavily. You know, from some other dimension, he's poking me. Get up. Do something. Get out of here. Let's go. Ride a bicycle. So it's helping me. You know, he's helping me. Yeah. Um, tell us, tell us about when you kind of transition. You talked about that Honda, and you raced yourself in the AMA during an era with a lot of contemporaries. I think Kevin Schwantz possibly raced with you. Can you tell us about how you personally got started in racing? Where your first race was, and and what you did with it um, as as a racer? Yeah, we, I. You know, it was big time on the street racing deal, and we just were about to kill ourselves doing topping up Z1s and 754s, doing crazy, crazy stuff. And then Hallett was our local track 45 minutes away, and we're like, oh, let's go out there. So we took our bikes out there, like, we're just going to ride out there. The guy said, Who are you? What are you doing here? You got a license? We're like, oh, yeah. So we had to load them up and take them back home, you know, and then we made sure the right second time we had our stuff together. We went out there with our street bikes and just had the most fun. And once I did that, I was like, oh, my God, there's nothing in your way. There's no police. And I've been a big dirt bike guy. There's no stumps. 
Those are logs, rocks, nothing. It's just a wide open. You can just turn that thing wide open and see how fast it'll go. You know, there's nothing in your way until you get to the next quarter. But anyway, it was so much fun to see this big open place you can ride and slide around and have the best time. So, again, that was our local track. That's where Dane learned to ride. And me, I did too. Because it was just such a cool track. As we called it the asphalt motocross. This was basically lots of, you know, holes and potholes and, you know, Tara messing up and just all sorts of stuff. But it was really a, a real challenge to ride the place. There's four different racetracks in one because there's four different surfaces. So Dane learned how to ride all four surfaces in the rain and the dry and everything. We went to obvious different tracks. He could smoke them. And they're like, how could you do this? And it's just because he'd rode at Hallett. So Hallett was a big deal about learning. And I'd suggest that to anybody in this area, run Hallett, big time. It'll teach you. When, when you raced at Hallett, which, did, of course, Dane did, that's CMRA, and I know you're a legend, and as is Dane, with that track, and they have the uh, benefit every year, the Dane Westby Classic. Uh, does it, did it feel like from the tra your transition from when you raced per yourself to when Dane started riding? I mean, was it, was it kind of a continuum there, or was there a little bit of time – when you you stopped racing, and then when Dane got involved, or did was was there a time you were almost doing a little bit together? Yeah, there was some time for sure. I I stopped racing to raise the family, and just because I couldn't afford it, I bought two RC thirties, and I was like, "What am I doing?" You know, and I just <laughs> well, one of them, and I still have the other one. Thank goodness, I kept it. The you know the the uh, oh dang, what were we talking about? He got me up early too here. Yeah, no, that's okay. We're talking about the transition for when you started. Yeah, it was about four years. Yeah. yeah, it was about four or five years, and I watched my family grow up, and we went and rode XR80s, and I was like, he was on a Y-Zinger, and uh, his little guy had a Y-Zinger, and I wouldn't let him ride it until he figured it out. So he's, I said, you can't start it until he ride it. He rode it up down the driveway, pushed it up, rolled it down, pushed it up, rolled it down, did that a whole bunch of times. Then we started, then I said, okay, you can ride, you can start the motor. The first thing he did is run into the garage, you know? And start crying. I said, Are you okay? He goes, Yeah, how's the bike? I said, It's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Quit crying immediately. You know, he said, Let's go for more. So then we got him on XR80s. So even on the Weisinger, though, a friend of mine, we'd go to my house. I had a big, big backyard and I'd ride an XR80 and my buddy ride an XR80. He's on his Weisinger. Well, we used to smoke him. Then all of a sudden he started beating us. We're like, Wait a minute. So, you know, maybe it's the beer we're drinking. So we couldn't drink a beer. He still beat us on that Weisinger. I was like, holy moly. So I hopped up my XR80 to 105 and didn't tell him. And I still couldn't beat him. I was like, on this Weisinger. I was like, okay, we got something going here, you know. So then I started putting him on XR80s. Some of the stuff he was doing was impossible. I mean, it was just like looking back at me, sliding sideways, smiling at me like, oh, this is bad. You know, and then he goes zipping down the trail. And I'd be so astounded. I'd just go flying right by the corner, missing completely. Couldn't believe I'd just seen what I'd saw. He'd beat up on the pegs, sliding and looking at me with a sly grin like, I just smoked you, Dad. So, yeah, he was good, and that's where we came from. And then I got him on a – I said, you know, you may be pretty good on one of these things. So I got an SV650, bought a used one from the shop here, put him on that. And he went out to Hallett and said, you know, right, drove it around a little bit. and said, you know, I don't know if I'm made for this, Dad. I'm not – I'm kind of wobbly and stuff. I said, just go have fun. Don't worry about beating him. Just have fun. So he did. His first race, he got a seventh. The next race, he's like third, and then second. And then he started winning all of them. I was like, golly, buddy, okay, let's go to the next step. So anyway, Hallett was a big thing, and that's what happened. I got him on XR80s. 
we used to go ride at the ranch a lot. It's just amazing what he was doing on that little thing. So that's where I got him into racing. If you can do that on an XR80, what can you do on a race bike, you know? So that's where it started. I mean, he has always surprised me with stuff he could do on a motorcycle, any kind of bike, anywhere. You know, ride the dirt with a bald back tire on a, another XR, XL80. And ride, your back tire is not made for the dirt. He's still sliding around and still smoking. Golly. You know, he, so he just had something. There, I've missed him so bad. I just missed it. But anyway, we'll get off of that. Sorry. That's, okay. That's all right. That's okay. Yeah. He's obviously a yeah. talented kid, and you could see that right away. It's it's always kind of cool that first time your son actually beats you in whatever it is that he's good at, you know? It, you're like, oh, man, we, he, you know, he's made it. And, and that's got to be cool to watch, especially with Dane and motorcycles. I never wanted to let him. I never told him that, but, yeah. <laughs> never wanted to let him know. But yeah, yeah. And, and also it's funny because I, I remember my son's a really good golfer, and I'm okay. And I remember when he started beating me, he was a real little kid, and it, and it was uh, – it's funny because I think he thought initially that I was letting him do that, but I wasn't about to let him do anything like that. But uh, yeah, it is kind of cool when you see your son progress like that and they've got some skills and some talent and something. And, and it's especially nice with Dane because he was able to carry that through and, and really do something with it. I remember I remember a couple of years ago, God, it's probably longer than that, but you got to do a lap of Coda with Kevin Schwantz. What, what was that yeah. like? Oh. Man, I was like, "What? I get to do what?" Was that the, your largest so, yeah. race, your largest ride in, in in front of the largest spectator crowd, huh? And Schwartz originally taught Dane, you know, at Road Atlanta, had the three day World Champion School. I took him to that. So, and Schwartz, Kevin took him took him personally aside and rode with him for like half an hour by themselves. And I was like, "Holy moly!" And then, of course, I come in and. They go over and, and Kevin's talking to Dane. I'm like dying to be in on the conversation, but I know if I go over there, I'll blow it, you know? Dad showed up, so I just stayed back. But I, when he came over, I said, God, what'd you guys talk about? What was going on? Oh, just talking about, you know, weather and my dog. And you know, I'm like, what? No, that what you talked about? Yeah. Hey, he was like, racing's one thing, but I like to know what the people are like. I don't want to know what their loves and hates are and everything about them. I mean, racing is another deal completely, and I, you know, this is what I wanted to find out. I was like, wow. So he actually had talked about family and things, not racing. But it was still neat to watch him do that. So when Kevin, we wanted to do that, I mean, I've always had a place in my heart for Kevin because he's so nice to Dane. So that happened. I was like, wow. You mean I'm good enough for that to happen to me? I was just loving it. You know, I think it was Dane who was good enough. But that doesn't matter. I was loving it. To ride around with him and pictures of it? Yeah. No kidding. Big honor. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, Trig. I remember that, and I, I thought to myself just personally, I mean, I'm the type that probably would maybe wilt a little bit from that that situation of being out there in the front of that big a crowd on that track, a world-class track, obviously, um, and, in you know, with with a, a, a Grand Prix champion. I shouldn't say MotoGP was before that, but but you, you got on that bike, which was the super bike for the team, and you basically rode that thing around with pretty good speed, and you uh, you had no problems ha making that happen. So you've got incredible muscle memory from being a racer and riding. Well, you I know you still ride a lot, but it, it seemed like really no big deal to, for you to just kind of do that. I, I was impressed that you were on that stage and, and did what you did. So nicely done there. Well, thank you. I was... You know, was, I had to look through tears some of the time getting around the racetrack when Kevin was with me. But the rest of the time, that's a great racetrack. I almost went off two or three times, but I've got a lot of runoff. So you 
straighten yourself out before you get there. So yeah, I was having fun on that place. So I could go, you know, I went there for a Cadillac thing too, and I was smoking them. They're like, wow, you really drive these cars. I was like, I didn't tell them I'd been around on a superbike on that thing. I was like, hurry up, you guys are in the way, let's move. So they're like, well, you know how to drive pretty well. I was like, yeah, I didn't tell them. You know, I'd been there before. before. That's the way to do it. Car, you know, but anyway. But yeah, that was a really big deal to me. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, I was just excited to, to get there is, you know, you had talked about, you started out on, on a Honda and you've had a couple RC thirties and you, you had your, I think you had your, the RC 30 you still have at Jersey last year. And the thing's unbelievable. That thing is awesome. Yeah. Um, what I, what I wanted to ask you is you've got a quite of a, quite a background and relationship with Honda. You know, I love to talk to you about your stories about when you had the dealership. Can you, can you talk about your Honda dealership and tell, Tell the fans about the fact that you you would even spend the night there sometimes. Tell us about about that. Oh, that was yeah, that part wasn't so good. I spent the night there all night for two years in a row. I slept in one of the salesmen's office with a sawed-off twelve gauge, and I was had been robbing the heck out of me. So I was trying. It turned out to be an internal deal. Somebody inside was telling what the deal was. But anyway, because I never got bothered for those two years. Before that, they kept hitting me, you know, so I had to basically stay there to keep from happening. So that wasn't fun. But the actual Honda dealership, when it was cooking, that was really fun. When everybody was doing their job and we were selling motorcycles and making people happy, that was the best part of it. But you were pretty much on your own with Honda. They didn't, you know, they didn't help you damn bad. It was all on you. And that's what started to change my mind about it. That's why I got out of it after 10 years. But, uh, but you had, you they had were, a full line. You had, you had new bikes. You you took in trades. You did the whole thing, service and everything, right, yeah, Craig? Yeah, I had everything but the cars. I had everything they'd let me have, and they wouldn't let me have cars. They said, no, you can't have that. You know, we'll let you have all the rest of the stuff. And we'll guarantee, <laughs> you know, we'll guarantee you no one can have it. But, you know, two years later, that changed. And all of a sudden, Lowe's had it. You know, so, you know, hot lawnmowers and stuff. So. You know, that was, that part of it was a little disappointing after, you know, pushing the lawnmowers for two years or whatever, making them sell like crazy, and all of a sudden, those done. But uh, anyway, we'll go back to the, the motorcycle part of it was the best. And yes, I had a complete service department. <laughs> Didn't have a dyno, but that wasn't there yet. No one knew about those so much. But we did do a lot of repair on everything, four-wheelers and used stuff and all the Hondas, any model, any make, if you wanted to. I my, my basically what I said was I'm not afraid of any brand. I'm not afraid of any motorcycle. Bring it in, we can do. Because I had a really good team then. I got a super good team now, best ever, as far as I'm concerned. But that's what it was. Yeah, it was a full full uh, service deal, and I had a great time doing it. Like I said, for ten years, and I said, okay, they don't care if I live or die. I think I'm going to do something different, and that's why I got out. But I still love you know motorcycles. You know, and I still sold them when I started Kinetic Playground back up and got a dyno and, you know, just did a little hot rod shop where I could play with my motorcycles and not have the corporate thing hanging over my head, which is what it was. You know, you better do this or else. And that kind of stuff. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. This is all my money is in this thing. You know, it's my money. I'll do what I want. So that's kind of why I had to leave because I had my own way of doing stuff, as you can see. And I felt like a loser getting out of it, but I'm no better than that because I'm a winner. You know, I have the best team out there, I think. So, and we're winning. We're doing good, getting up there. We're trying to win. 
Oh, Cam's fast, baby, I'll tell you. But if you don't have somebody, as Dane used to say, if you don't have somebody faster than you, you'll never get any better. you got to have somebody faster to try to catch up to. And that's what he always did. And he always caught up to his rivals and beat them every time, you know. So he just didn't make it long enough. That was his theory. You bring up your team, Trig, and as I mentioned earlier, it seems like a real family bond, bonding team there. Talk a little bit it about is. talk a little bit about Matthew Skultz and your relationship with him. I mean, he's obviously a hell of a rider, and you know he got he got second in the first race this year, and you know he looks set. To, he looks confident. He looks comfortable, and he looks set to have another good good season. Talk a little bit about him and 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 kind of your feelings about him. Well, Matt is a special. Go ahead, Matt. Matt is a special case. We were. After Josh got hurt, you know, we uh, started looking around a little bit, had to. And Ed Sullivan and I, one of the crew chief, now we were uh, talking to each other. I said, hey, this guy, this Matt guy looks pretty good. You know, why don't you go over here to turn five and I'll go over here to turn 10 or whatever. I don't remember the exact quarters, but and we'll come back and have a little powwow. So we did that in just practice. We both came back and said, he's great. He's pretty good, man. I said, yeah, because I saw him mess around with Danny and one of my good buddies, Eslick. And he was right there with him. If he can be with Danny, he's probably pretty good enough to look at. You know, that's what I was thinking. I know Danny pretty well. So I thought, okay, he's pretty good. So that's what happened. And then as time went, you know, we were like, we need to look at this guy if he's even interested. Well, he had that two-race deal with somebody else. So we thought, you know what, let's go down and talk to the, the team manager. Let's don't try to go in the back door. Let's go in the front door. Let's try to be good guys. I'm not going to go and tempt him and leave them guys. Let's go see. So we went and talked to him, and the guy was not even interested. In fact, he kind of got mad at us. We get out of here. I got him signed up for a year, two years or something. I was like, oh, well, okay, sorry. You know, sorry we bothered you. So we were walking through the pits, me and Chuck, and here comes Matt, you know, walking by. I said, hey, Matt, congratulations on your two-year deal. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, the deal you just got with a leg breath there. I mean, <laughs> The other guy, and he said, uh, I don't have a deal. I don't have anything with that guy. Here, I'll be right back. And, he, you know, I guess we made him mad. He went off and came back later and said, I'd like to ride for you. You know, is it, can we do that? I said, yeah, but you got this other deal going. So let me race this last deal for him, and then I'm, I'm with you. I want to be with you guys. And we were just like, whoa. And as his, Matt's mom says, it was a hand-and-glove deal. Like, it was just made to happen. You know, so I – and I thought, okay, Dane, what are you doing here? I love it. You know, like, I like this guy. He's good. And, man, he treats me like I'm his dad. He hugs me and tells me he loves him, loves me. And I tell him the same thing. He's like, fill it in for the Daner. You know, it's pretty interesting. He has a lot of the same attributes and, you know, things he doesn't do right, but he does do right on this other stuff. And just you know what I mean. It's, he's a young guy. Yeah, still. So he's still younger than Dane at, the time, at this time. But anyway, that's how we got him and wanted him, and he came to us. We went through the front door and didn't and did it the right way, and it, it rewarded us by having him come to us. So that's the way to do it, guys. Don't try to, you know, you know, basically bribe them to come from their team to your team. Talk to the front guy first. I'm sure he's not going to be happy about it. It's the rider that matters. If he's not happy with that team, he's not going to be as happy. He'll go as good, and that's why he's doing so good with this team. All the guys really like him, and they all work for him so well. Chuck, Ed, Danny, Frank, Dustin, Marsh, Herschel, they all work their butts off for him because they see there's so much talent in there. And his dad told me when he was a little kid, 
they had this big driveway that come down to the house. It was a big hill. And at the end of it was a garage. And he comes zipping down that hill on his bicycle and trying to make the corner. And sometimes he wouldn't run out of the garage. And his dad came out and said, are you okay? He got a big knot on his head and bleeding. He said, yeah, I'm fine, Dad. I'm going to do that again until I, I get it done. And go back up the top of the hill and do it again. You know, he didn't care. He was going to make it happen. And that really got my attention when I heard that as a little kid. He's that committed to doing it. And he really is. You know, he's so sorry when he falls off. I mean, you know, I was like, he's so sorry about the deal with Bobby. And I said, man, you can't, don't have rearview mirrors on that thing. You know, it's not your fault, buddy. You just ride like you're riding. It's great. Finally got the bike with happy on it. You know, so. It's funny, Trig, that you'd say that because I was going to say, Paul, well, you'll see us in the media center and when we're working and, you know, the, we're watching the race or whatever, or, or mostly practice or qualifying. And, you know, like, for instance, at Road America, when um, that first time when when Matthew went down and, you know, he's trying as hard as he can. And Paul and I always just feel so bad not for him and for how he tries so hard for the team. For the team, you know, the whole thing was just like, oh man. And then he this this is what the, this is what happens though. He then he goes and he puts it on the podium in second place in the race. And it's like you said, he went down the hill and hit the wall, but you know, he had a crash at Road America, but he overcomes it and he comes back and makes it happen. That's gotta be a good feeling for you guys on the team. I tell him, man, don't you scratch my shiny bike, I'll kick whip your ass, damn it. You know, don't be scratching my custom paint and stuff. But anyway, yeah, it's all a joke, you know. He he tries so hard. I mean, I watched him in this low side there in the corner, and you can watch the front tire losing traction and gaining, losing drain, and finally he's going to see you. I'm not going to hold anymore, you know. What's sliding down the racetrack? So, yeah, he's trying, but how are you going to find out what the deal is unless you do just that? You know, you got to see where your limit is. Okay, next time I'll be different and around that corner. So. Yeah, got to find that limit. Hey, Trig, I've never asked you this before, so I don't know how this answer how this answer is going to come. Paul loves it when I ask these questions that even I'm a little nervous or hesitant ah. about. He doesn't always go well. But I know you well enough. We have a good relationship. What do you think Dane would think of Matthew Scholes? Oh, I think they'd be friends. I mean, I think there'd be competition there because he'd be on another team and Dane would have to beat him, you know, have to race with him. But I think they'd find out. What their deal is, I'm sure Dane attempt you know test him and Matt test Dane, and they go, okay, this guy can ride. I got to respect, you know, and that, you know, I'll be like Dane to run all those endurance races. So he knew how fast to go, what not to do, so he could finish the goddamn race. You know, he give him a room. So I Matt and him would figure it out too, because I think Matt would be a good endurance guy too, with a little bit of, you know, that's what that's what I put Dane in endurance stuff, so he'd learn how to you know ride or seat time like crazy. So, but, you know, I think they'd be friends. I definitely do, man. The way Matt is, the way Dane was, I think they'd be fast friends. You know, be talking about women and stuff in no time. So, anyway. <laughs> no doubt about that, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. Of course, Dane got along well with – I've never met anybody that didn't know Dane and loved the kid, you know. I mean, everybody thought he was fantastic. Um, you kind of led me into this next question. So, you – Made, it's interesting how when I ask about how Matthew and Dane would get along and you said something about, will they be on different teams? So, you know, we often will get asked this, and I don't know if you're personally ever asked this, but the question is, you know, the team has got such a big footprint and such notoriety, Westby Racing, in the paddock. The question always comes up about, you know, why aren't there two riders? And I know Cody Wyman's a second rider this year in Junior Cup, but, you know, people wonder why we why the team doesn't have a – a second superbike rider, and I know it takes money. I understand that 
Trigan, I, I don't want to diminish that part, but you even kind of said it would if it was if, if it was Dane, it wouldn't be Matthew. Um, and Matthew thinks of you as kind of his dad when he's over here a little bit. He says that a lot. Um, is there something about the team being a one rider team? Is it because you like that personal relationship with that one rider? Or have you ever thought somewhere down the road, maybe there will be a second rider if, you know, uh, things like the money and all that is handled or sponsors can, can support it or whatever? Yes. I think a second rider would be a great thing. The deal is the reason I haven't done that is because we haven't won yet. Okay. I mean, in the big time, I need to win, concentrate until we win. And then, okay. Now we can now we can move on to the next deal, but I want to put everything concentrated on one guy. I know that's kind of all your eggs in one basket type of thing, but if it's done, then you know we can win with that guy. Then we can you know there will be sponsors come and say, hey, you know I'd like to help you get a semi, whatever. You know we, I don't care about all that. You know I, I'm winning. I don't care if I show up in a pickup truck. You know I'm just gonna. That's all I care about. That's why I'm concentrating on one deal, and that's winning this deal. Once we and we're getting closer. You know, so if we can get there, yeah. And then, you know, even if we don't, I mean, if the notoriety builds to the point to where they like us enough that somebody comes in and says, yeah, you know, because we had one guy, we thought he was a big time spender. And like, uh, no, this is what it costs to deal with. This is not big time. You know, if you want this kind of, you know, exposure in this team, we need more help. Than that. But anyway, you know, here I don't want to be too proud about it either, but I can be, you know, I'm not going to. If somebody comes and I'm not don't really like them or whatever, they keep their money. I got the money to do this, but the deal is, is I'd really like to have somebody come in with really, you know, a professional deal, and I can help them as long, you know, as long, you know, I can put their name all over stuff. You know, just help me with the financial part of it. We'll win. You know, I'll get another guy. I'd love to have two guys as long as Matt gets along with them. You know, but I think that would be a dream team. That Matt and Dane, oh my God, that'd be the best. You know, so. But yeah, someday I'd love to have two riders. Definitely would. You know, but right now I'm just concentrating, like I say, on this team and making it happen. That's why I didn't have a giant. When I win, start doing good. Well, maybe it's time to expand and buy a semi and get crazy. But there's no reason to look cool unless you are cool. You know, I'm not going to look like I'm somebody if we're not somebody yet. So that's what Dane always said. I don't want to sign. I don't want to do any autographs. I haven't won anything. Why would they want my autograph? You know, that kind of deal. But go ahead. Trig, when you, it, I mean, I know, I know you probably feel the same way with, with racing. It's like, there's some struggles, there's some ups and there's some downs, like Matthew crashes in practice and the team's got to put the bike together and Matthew feels bad and everybody feels bad, but they go, they bust their ass, they get the thing together. And then the, the next day he goes out and finishes second. When you, when Road America wasn't a really and not a good indication of that because of the social distancing and everything. But when that team gets to go to, to, to the winner's circle and they get to celebrate whether that's a win, a second, or a third place, don't, don't you think that's what kind of makes it all worthwhile? Yes. I mean, yeah, there's, no, there's no other feeling like that. I, would you agree? Yes, none. The job, I mean, one time when Dave was on the podium and Ulrich came over to me and said, you need to enjoy this while, while he's up there. I said, what do I do, make everybody go in slow motion? I mean, I... <laughs> You only get so many minutes of everybody screaming and yelling, and then it's back to the pits to get ready for the next one. But we love that. It's just like a drug to us. I mean, it's just so good to be there. I mean, people all looking at us, just like Dave used to say. They're all looking at me. I got the trophy, the champagne. You know, there's very few times I'll be up here. I'll be the guy. 
You know, this is so cool. So, yeah, it's really a big thing. Everybody's hugging each other. I'm loving it. It's the best thing. It is addicting. Oh, God. Yeah. And if you don't, the agony defeat, you know, the thrill of victory, the agony defeat, same old thing. Yeah, Trig, I mean, you were you were on the podium with Dane a few times. I'll never forget that weekend that he did the double in Daytona Sport Bike at Barber, uh, and it was so hot that weekend, and his conditioning is, was so high. He was such so naturally gifted, uh, his physical talent and, you know, his fitness. And, you know, you were on the podium with Josh Day a bunch of times, and, and uh, you've been on the podium with Matthew, obviously, including winning superbike races on a super stock or a stock 1000 bike. That feeling of being on the podium and that feeling of success that you get from your thinking back to when you raced, is it, is it the same feeling? Do you feel as, as if you won the race yourself is it, oh, I guess yeah. is what I'm wondering. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. You feel like you did it yourself. Cause everybody goes, good job, Trig. I said, yeah, I got a little trouble in turn five, but wait a minute. It wasn't me on the bike. So I always, everybody says, good job, Trig. I said, yeah, it was hell. I'll tell you, you know, what a race. But what was hell on me was sitting in front of the monitors, <laughs> watching the thing. You know, here he is. Oh no, he's not. He wasn't in. The, he was in the lead. Now he's not in the lead. Well, now he's coming back. Now he's now he's oh, so he took that. You know, it's one thing after another. So yeah, being in front of the monitors, it's hell. So sometimes I go out on the racetrack and just pick a corner, and I happened to pick the corner at Elkhart where he got taken out last time. I was standing right there, going, oh no, 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 you know, screaming and yelling and stuff, just like a high school girl or something. But that's what happens to you. You get so involved in this stuff, it's hard not to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Trig, we're going to wrap this thing up, and it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, as I mentioned earlier, your team is something special, and you're something special. And you make everybody happy when they see you, and you have the ability to light up a room and light up the paddock. So I, I want to personally thank you for being a big part of Moto America. I know you put a lot of money a lot of effort and a lot of passion into into being there every week. People don't understand what it takes to put together a team, not to mention a successful team like you've been able to do with all your guys and and Chuck and the group um, do a hell of a job and they and they do a wonderful job for Moto America. So I want to thank you for that as well as for coming on the show. Um, I know Sean has deep feelings for you guys and uh, and Sean, thanks for for having us today and and for for getting Trig on the show. Yeah, I'm glad we got we got Trig on. I mean, I I was kind of realizing that each round, one of the highlights of my weekend is always to spend a little bit of time with Trig, and it, it ends up we go down some rabbit holes and and talk for a while, and I real forget where what time it is or what my next thing has to be doing. But uh, Trig, I always I have to thank you personally for all those conversations, and like Paul said, for your passion for our sport and your your remembrance of of Dane and keeping it going for him, but also you know, what you're doing to keep American road racing in, in the limelight um, and helping it grow in Moto America. It's it's just tremendous and huge thanks to you. Well, thank you. And I don't know what I've done to to get this team that I got. Why they would come to me, I'm not sure. But boy, I got some really good. I've been looking at other teams going, I wish I had that guy. And now they're all on my team. Thank you guys. <laughs> I thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, thank you. And I, and I also want to say thank you to the fans for listening to our podcast. Please subscribe to Moto America Live Plus, our popular subscription streaming service. And also, don't forget to get your race weekend tickets 
especially for this next round coming up at, at Road America. I know Road America is a special track for for Trig and, you know, we'll have, I'm sure a lot of fans there were excited to, for them to be there. And, and, uh, you know, so get, become a part of that uh, really wherever you're located, you know, make it to that track or one of our other ones on the schedule coming up. And the way you do that is go to motoamerica.com and there are links to click on live plus and also get your race weekend tickets. Yeah, thanks again, Trig Thank and, and Paul. My pleasure.